Have you ever wondered if you have what it takes to step into the unknown and commit to sobriety 100%? In a world where drinking and overindulging are often front and center, it's easy to feel that way. You know firsthand how difficult it is to step into this process, make a decision to quit drinking, then figure out how to stick to that decision on a daily basis, figuring out how and where to get help with the constant anxiety of all the questions. What will my family say? How will I ever have fun again? Are my friends going to ditch me? Am I really never going to drink again? No one truly understands the pressure of sobriety like you and I because we live it. And if you're a partner and a parent, there are added pressures and anxieties that can feel way too big to overcome. But you've heard me say this before. If I can do this, I promise you, you can too. And today, you're going to spend a lot of time nodding your head in agreement as you hear this story. She's a wife, she's smart, was a business owner, always high-functioning, and a super mom. I know so many of you can relate to being all those things. And like so many of us, she realized she was using alcohol as a coping mechanism because she didn't have the necessary coping skills to deal with all the daily life challenges. She struggled to find help and support. She was devastated at the thought of leaving her family and kids to go to inpatient treatment. She felt uncomfortable with traditional support groups because she has religion trauma in her past, and she knew she needed a private, personalized solution to help her figure out how to stay sober day to day. You'll hear Carrie C. talk about how she found her perfect program, and also how she came to understand that it's okay to take pieces from different programs and do your recovery your way. She'll also tell you how she got through feeling selfish as a mom, taking time away from her family for herself, realizing how important it is to take care of herself, finding the right support for her personal recovery plan, and understanding how important it is to manage anxiety on a daily basis. So how did she find the strength to take action and get help? You're about to hear every detail with all the ups and downs right now. Here's Carrie C. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friend. I wanted to jump in really quick before this episode starts for the first announcement of the Dry January Kickstarter, my 30-day boot camp. If you did this with me last year, you know how amazing it was. So of course, we're doing it again. And you know, I believe mastering your recovery is how you master your life. Because with the skills you learn when you're on a personal development path, you can master every area of your life. So join me in this Dry January Kickstarter 30-day boot camp. 
It's for you if you're frustrated because you feel like you don't even know where to start, or you're trying your best, it's time consuming, you're not getting the results you think you should have. You've tried and failed so many times, you're overwhelmed, this is for you. Or maybe you're crushing it and you're sober a few weeks or a few months already. This is still going to be good for you. This is how you'll want to start your year. I'll be doing live videos every week, personally answering your questions to help you with where you're stuck and get you the boost you need to keep pushing. It's going to be amazing. It'll all happen in a pop-up private Facebook group. That just means it only exists for the time of the boot camp and then it goes away again. All you need to do is go to addictionunlimited.com forward slash bootcamp to sign up. Sign up now. Emails will start going out to get in the Facebook group when it opens. You guys, this is deep dive recovery stuff and it's 100% free. You heard me right, my friend. It's free. No excuses. Leave your BS at the door because we're getting down and dirty with sobriety addictionunlimited.com forward slash bootcamp. I will put that in the show notes also so you can get there right from your podcast app. And of course, I will post it in the Addiction Unlimited Facebook group also so you can get there straight from the Facebook group. addictionunlimited.com forward slash bootcamp. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Miss Carrie. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. Welcome to the pod. Hello, Miss Angela. Thank you for having me today. Um, are you nervous? I'm very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> what is making you nervous about this process? Um, I think the impact of your podcast has been so powerful and continues to be so powerful for me. And the stories I hear and the inspiration I get from it, I just, I don't want to waste your listeners <laughs> week by getting a podcast that might not be so fascinating for them. So I hope I have something inspirational to say, but I haven't been on this journey too long. So I feel like I'm still, I still have so, so much to learn. I love being with people who are newer in the process. Like it is very inspirational and it just reminds you like what incredible people we are. So I don't want you to worry about not having a fantastic story because I know you and you're amazing and I'm so excited to just get to have this conversation with you and to get to share you with the audience because you are pretty awesome and you're a well, cheerleader you. for, for everybody listening. <laughs> I was a hundred years ago. Now I'm just a cheerleader at, in my house. <laughs> and so for a little background on the cheerleading thing, you know, we just did our sober trip to Costa Rica and Carrie came on the sober trip to Costa Rica and it was amazing. And you are one of those people with an energy that is just infectious. You know, like so many of us were commenting, we had almost 20 people on the trip and so many people commented on how incredible your energy was and how much fun you made everything. And I so appreciate that because I think it probably helped a lot of the other people. You know, I can't imagine, and we can probably talk about this a little bit later too, but I can't imagine like the anxiety that people were probably feeling booking a sober trip with a group of people that they don't necessarily know. Like some of us knew each other, but some didn't know anybody. And I think having somebody so positive and so fun and lighthearted really put everybody's anxieties at ease. And it was just absolutely a blast. And it was a blast to watch you enjoy yourself. 
<laughs> Thank you. I did. I, <laughs> I had so much fun. I've never done anything like that. I've never left my family. I've never done anything by myself. And so it was a huge risk for me. I think I was just so excited about it. I was a little nervous, but I was just so excited. And once I got there, I couldn't believe how comfortable we all just became with each other so quickly. And I, I just became that cheerleader that I like to be when I'm comfortable and we can all have fun together. And it was the whole trip. We had such great vibes and um, it was it was the best experience for me, for sure. Yeah, I agree. It was for me too. So let's jump into this sober journey of yours. And I would love to start with you just sharing a little bit about where you were before, right? Before you reached out to me, um, well, to let everybody know, also you worked with me privately. We did, you did my personalized coaching program. So where were you before you made that call? I guess what made me make the leap to call you is I think my family was finally just fed up. They could see that I was ill-equipped to deal with all of the stress, all the anxiety, all of the things happening in my life. And I was just choosing to drink to numb it all. And I think the pivotal moment for me was when I realized that my teenagers knew I was drinking. I didn't think they knew. Somehow I thought I was really good at hiding. And I know my husband was having some very candid conversations with them things that I didn't want them to know, things I didn't want them to talk about. And so when I realized those conversations were going on, then I started to realize I, I can't be living like this. I, I'm not hiding it from anybody and I need to get it together before I lose my relationship with my teenagers. Were you at a point even then, like, were you having regret when you were drinking? Were you putting rules on it? Like, I'm only going to drink after 5 p.m., or I'm only going to drink wine, or I'm only going to drink on the weekends, or I'm only going to have three drinks. Were you doing all of those things? Honestly, I think I was past the point. I think that I had lost control of the situation, and I I wasn't at a point to say, okay, I'm not going to drink this week. I, I, it was beyond that. It was really my only coping mechanism to deal with all of my anxiety, and I didn't see at the time how much worse, it was causing my anxiety to be, I thought that was my solution. Were you having a lot of the feelings that so many of us do where feeling like trapped? I mean, you said you, that you already lost control, right? I was a person that I, I didn't even really try to regain control. Like I was very clear, you know, like I'm an alcoholic. This is who I am. So I I played some of those games briefly, but at the same time, internally, I was so deeply saddened by my life and how I was living and the person that I was. Were you experiencing any of that? Very much so. I felt so lost. I felt like there was no other solution. And honestly, the podcast you've talked about where you were surprised to wake up every day and you felt sad that this was the life you were going to live and that you were going to die an early death. You know, it's so sad to say that, but that really was, I was feeling like that was my life path that I didn't have any other options. And I was just here going through the motions until my life was ending. And it's really sad. Um, I have a two-year-old little girl and some days I would just look at her and think like, it's so sad. I don't know who's going to raise her, but I just, mm. I didn't know a way out and I didn't think I'd be around. I don't know. 
It's so crazy when you think back on it, huh? Like, yeah, I felt very helpless. I didn't know what to do until I found you. <laughs> yeah. Did you try some other things? Like, did you ever go to inpatient treatment or outpatient treatment? Did you do any of those things? Um, I was very against all of that because I so desperately did not want to leave my family. I didn't want to have to go to a treatment center where I had to check in and, you know, not have contact with them and, and leave them on their own. I really run the ship and didn't know who could steer it without me as dysfunctional as I was. I still held the family together. And, um, my husband did take me to kind of a women's facility. We toured it. The women were great and very friendly, but I was just sick. I, I could not leave my family. Um, we went to an inpatient treatment um, facility at a, hosp a local hospital also just to kind of talk with the counselor and see how they run their program. And we just, that didn't feel like a, a great fit either. The, the people didn't seem like the right fit. And so I knew I needed to change something. So that's when I just started desperately searching online for other, you know, alternate routes. Um, I have a long, complicated history with religion growing up in a very religious community that I'm not a part of. And, and so for that reason, the AA program has not sat well with me just because in my mind, I have felt like that has, you know, some religious aspects that I can't wrap my brain around and didn't feel like that would be my path either. And so that's when I started um, just really researching and finding an alternative route that would be the best fit for me. And I'm so grateful I found you because it was the perfect fit, just what I needed. Yeah. It's so cool that there are so many resources now, you know? So like when I got sober before podcasts were a thing and we didn't have all the books, like there were a handful of books that people had written, but you really couldn't get them. You know, the internet wasn't what it is now in general. You couldn't go on Amazon and order anything on the planet and get it the next day. You know, it was just a very different time. But so what we did is we would go to the bookstore and we would get all the self-help books right? And so it was this all, I have to change my life. And that, that was the path before we had, you know, the vastness of the internet and all the quitlet and podcasts. But it's so beautiful to me to see all the options because everybody, everybody's journey is going to be different. Everybody's needs are going to be a little bit different. It doesn't mean that our needs can't be met, right? Like I can go to AA and say, you know, 90% of my needs are met and 10% aren't. I'm okay with that, you know, but it would have been nice to have some options and to have different places to go and to have all the online stuff that we have now where I could have connected with different pieces of myself too. And I know that's a big thing for me in entrepreneur world is to really work with a lot of high achieving, high functioning people because that's its own sort of niche that's kind of hard to find a place to fit too. So I just think it's amazing how much is available now. Absolutely. And, you know, as I've gone down this road, I have learned that it is okay to join a program to start um, and just take the aspects that you use from it and not have to fully engage. My my personality, my perfectionism, my all or nothing type of um, thinking is now sort of shifting as I'm figuring this out. And um, so definitely I've learned a lot through, you know, our group 
and through you of wonderful parts of AA that I think I can definitely use and the parts that I don't think fit with my um, belief system, I don't have to, I don't have to engage in that part. And so I'm, I'm learning that all these different options we have, we can take bits and pieces of everything until we find just what we need to maintain, you know, a sober lifestyle. Amen to that. So how did you feel when you decided to set up a consultation call with me? Because I know that's terrifying because I have to do the same thing. You know, I hire coaches for everything. (laughs) So I know how it feels to be like, oh my gosh, it's expensive. Like, is this the right thing? Is this going to work for me? Am I being ridiculous? Like, what was that process like for you? And you're like, I'm going to reach out to Angela. I was really nervous at the beginning. I think we scheduled like a 15 minute conversation and I think we talked for over an hour. I was so comfortable right away. I just knew right away that you were my person. You were someone who I could, you know, tell things about my situation that I hadn't told anybody, probably including my husband. And I just immediately felt like you were my person. You were going to get me through this. How did your husband feel about you doing something with a podcaster? <laughs> like, did he have doubts? He no, he was very excited. I, I mean, again, we had so many conversations, and you know, he said to me, "The last thing I want to do is send you away. I don't want to, you know, send you away from our family and have limited communication, and that's the last thing I want to do. But I want to help you." And so he was thrilled when when I found your. You know, we spent a lot of time looking through your website and listening to some of your videos, and he was the one who immediately said, jump into her six week program. And I said, well, let me just talk with her. Maybe I'll just like join the online group and kind of see what it's all about. And he was very adamant that he wanted me to join your six week program right away and and get into the one-on-one and group work and just do what I could do remotely. So I could still be at home, but be, you know, aggressively working at it. It's one of the dangers, you know, of our brains is that we will always want to do, in AA, we say we always want to find the easier, softer way, right? Like we just, we always want the shortcut. We are very sort of shortcut people. Like give me the condensed version. Like let's make this as easy as possible. Um, So yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that you were thinking about just doing the online piece without the coaching first. Yeah. And not because I wanted like an easy way out or I didn't want to put in the hard work, but just because I was nervous about talking with someone about all of it. I didn't know. Oh, okay. You know, I'd never like talked to anybody about how severe I guess it had gotten. And I guess I just, I didn't know how to open that communication and I don't have a group or before then I didn't have any other. And my husband was very supportive, but he doesn't understand at all. He doesn't have a brain that works like I do. He, as much as he tried to understand, he, he didn't, but he did understand that I needed, you know, some intense work. And so I am glad that he really pushed me to just jump in and, and do your full on program right away. Yeah. Spouses really, I mean, are so usually overwhelmed. They have no idea what to do. They have no idea how to help us. They have no idea how to be supportive. They have no understanding of what the heck is going on with us. You know, it is, it's hard and there's no manual. And I think that's where really personalized coaching is so significant too. And what I have to have the same thing in my life because I, I have to have somebody that gets my personality and gets how I think about things and how I approach the world 
so that they can give me solutions that will work for me. You know, <laughs> like that's really important, that personalized component. Absolutely. And I think that's why I was so intimidated to get in. Oh, I was also maybe even more nervous when speaking to you for the first time was joining the group meeting on Thursday nights, the first time just, you know, seeing random faces that I didn't know. And that and the trip to Costa Rica, it's amazing when you really are with people who think like you, who've been through experience, experiences like you have, how quickly you get each other and how comfortable yes. you are. And I couldn't believe how quickly I was opening up to the group and sharing things that, again, I'd never even shared with my family members because I felt like these people get me and this is a safe space. And I'm yes. only sharing because I want to grow and they're sharing because they want to grow and we all help each other. We do connect in a very different way than we connect with the rest of the world. And it is a beautiful connection. We are so loving and kind and supportive of one another. We will do absolutely anything for one another. And and I had that same experience in AA, right? From the minute I walked in the door, it was just that kind of love and kindness and support. And I never felt like I had a team, right? Until I was with other alcoholics. And then I right. felt like I was on a team for the first time in my life and a team that really got it and really wanted me to succeed. And I had never really felt that before. Right. Oh, our Thursday night group. Um, for everybody listening, when you do the personalized coaching program, you get one-on-one -on -one sessions every week and we have a group session every week. So that's what she's talking about, logging into the group. I didn't realize how nervous people get about logging into the group. You, and I've heard that, I've gotten that feedback recently from a few people that they're really nervous to come in. And I guess I don't think about it because I've been doing it forever. Like we all know each other so well, we just have fun. I mean, we laugh a lot and, you know, but I guess it would be interesting your first time, you know, to kind of yeah. come in and try to mix with everybody. What was the most surprising thing for you when you really stopped drinking? Like when you said, okay, I'm committed to this. I'm not drinking anymore from this point forward. What was surprising to you at the early stages? Honestly, it, it was surprising to me that I could do it. I mean, I had mm -hmm. such a bad relationship with alcohol by then that I, you know, desperately wanted to stop, but I didn't think that I could physically, you know, when you and other guests you've had have said, you know, I can do it, then anybody can do it. It really feels like that when, when you feel so trapped by it. But I guess I was surprised that it was really pretty easy once I put my mind to it to just stop. For me, a lot of it was habit and a lot of, you know, just drowning my feelings when something went AWOL and, you know, I was stressed or upset or anxious about something, just learning how to cope with that a different way that's much more productive. And I guess that's what was surprising for me is it, it came pretty easily. I think it's different when you have guidance too. I feel the same way. I'm not sure that my journey would have been as easy as it was if I didn't have people on a daily basis, you know, like rooting for me and telling me, okay, do this, try this. What do you think about this? You know, like it's just, it's different when you have support and you have people telling you how to navigate the things that you don't know how to navigate. That's all it is. It's just, you nailed it. Like we don't have coping skills. We don't know how to deal with being overly tired or being at odds with our partner or all the stress and anxiety of being parents, right? Like we don't know how to deal with all of those feelings and that's regular everyday life stuff. 
But until somebody says, hey, <laughs> instead of drinking, you could do this or we right. could try this. You, you just don't, you can't think of those things on your own. And maybe that was something surprising to me is that I was pretty ill-equipped to handle things. I didn't realize, you know, I'd gone through a series of losses and I didn't realize, I think just one on top of the other, on top of the other, I wasn't really processing and dealing, definitely wasn't taking any time for self-care and making sure that I was okay. So everybody else around me was okay. And I just, I didn't realize that I really wasn't coping and dealing with anything. And I didn't have those skills and I had to have a clear mind. And the nice thing about when I finished, you know, when I stopped drinking, then that anxiety that I was working so desperately to get rid of, that is so tied to it that I didn't understand that started to dissipate as I started to take care of myself, as I started to really, you know, get fresh air, get my hikes in every day. And get my meditations in. And I always thought that was such a selfish thing to do to take time away from my family. And I didn't realize how desperately I needed that and how that, like you say, keeping your anxiety level at such a low level so that when something happens, you're not already at a 10, you're at a two right. and you have right. skills now to cope with that. And you don't need to turn to drinking to numb it because you know how to handle the situation. Yeah, I guess that was surprising to me is that I guess I didn't realize I had gone down this path for so long and it just slowly got worse and worse and worse until I wasn't really coping with anything and I just didn't realize I wasn't handling it. So tell everybody how far you are now and what is the biggest difference in your life today? I stopped and contacted Angela the day before her birthday. So <laughs> mid-June. And, so that would have been um, June 16th. My birthday is June 17th. Yes. Okay. Then it was the day after. I think it day was after that June 18th. Okay. Um, and it hasn't been a perfect road. I've had a couple of hiccups, but. Okay. Tell us about your hiccups. What does that mean when you say I've had a couple of hiccups? What does that mean? I think it was easier than I thought. I got into a new routine and then I just hated alcohol. And then I just was feeling, you know, just so happy that my, my anxiety and just my stress level, everything I was feeling so well balanced and kind of feeling, I don't know, maybe a little cocky about things like this is so easy. I've got this. Why, do, why does anybody want to drink? It's such a waste of time. I, I have it all figured out. Kind of that all or nothing thinking. And I was, I thought I had it all figured out. And I don't know, there was one day, a couple months after that, and I've been very pretty clear with my husband that I didn't want any alcohol in the house. And he has a closet downstairs that he locks up and he keeps wine in there. And he has a glass of wine with dinner every night, which depending on my mood, I can is fine with me or it's not fine with me. <laughs> um, our friend Bob in our group tells me um, sometimes that if I'm annoyed with him for other reasons, then I'm annoyed when he drinks. But if we're yeah. on good terms with everything else, then he can have a glass of wine. It doesn't bother me. Anyway, he doesn't have the issues. He doesn't have the brain that I have. So it's really, it's not my choice to make. He was be being very good about keeping it away from me and being very polite and asking me every evening, do you mind if I have a glass? And anyway, one night, I have no idea why, but I opened up the, old, the liquor cabinet and there was a bottle of whiskey up there. And I just, I don't know. I just thought I was, I'd handled it. I don't know why. And my husband, I think he, again, not understanding how our brains work from the beginning told me I just kind of needed to get in check and then I would be able to just drink moderately again. 
like I had done years and years ago before it got out of control. And I guess because I was in such a comfortable place and thought I had it managed that, sure, I could probably have a glass here or there with him. And yeah, that quickly turned into, you know, it just, my body clearly cannot handle it anymore. And like you've said on a lot of your podcasts, you don't just drink to have one little drink. It's to get the effect of the numbing and the not having to feel all the crazy feelings we have to feel. And I would say other hiccups would be just learning how to prioritize self-care because I do have waves where I can feel myself slipping because I know I'm not making that a priority. I know that I'm putting other things and I can feel myself slipping into just, you know, I can feel it mentally. I can feel the anxiety start to rise again. I can start to feel like I'm letting myself go. And so just making that a priority and being such a yes person, that's hard for me to tell people no. I have my moments where I feel very selfish for putting myself first because I've spent you know, all these years never doing it. And so, you know, I kind of go on this roller coaster sometimes where I don't prioritize that. And I learn really quickly, I'm going to go down a really scary path if I don't make that a priority. Yeah. So tell us the outcome of your whiskey hiccup. What was the outcome? And not good. I mean, I just, it was a weekend and I just thought like that I had it and I had it under control and I could be a moderate drinker like most people can be. And yeah, I think it was a Friday night to a Sunday night. And by Monday morning, I think I was calling you sobbing and it was all over. But those lessons are painful. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they're so necessary. Well, I'm such a perfectionist and I put so much pressure on myself. And so I wanted a perfect recovery and I didn't want to have to be one of those people that had a hiccup. So then, of course, I really beat myself up for that. But you know what? I think I needed it because it got too easy too quickly. I got too comfortable and I just thought I had it all figured out. And I wasn't tempted ever. I didn't, you know, I was not a person who went out and socialized and had fun with it. You know, I drank at home by myself, hiding it to deal with life and stress. And it wasn't a fun thing. And so as I started working on myself and started learning how to cope with things so I could have fun in my life again. I wasn't tempted at all, but for some reason, I just, I got comfortable. I got, I guess I wanted to feel normal again because it Mm -hmm. really takes a lot of work. And that is a frustration of mine that we've talked about. And you tell me, and you're exactly right. Everything in life that you work for is hard work, but it gets frustrating. I feel sometimes like I just want to be a normal human that I don't have to put so much work into like, I don't want to be a fragile little thing. I want to be the tough person that I am. And I don't want to feel like I have to put so much work into just being a functional human being, but it it takes a lot of work. Well, it's interesting that you said fragile, because that is not a word I would use for most of us. We are incredibly strong and powerful people, truly. The thing is, when you say you want to be normal, I would ask you to really dissect what that means because normal is, you know, we live in a world with a lot of pretty unhappy people where, you know, we're not happy with our jobs and we're not happy with our relationships and we're not happy with how much money we make. And, you know, that's kind of normal. Things take work when you want them to be better than normal. 
I want my health to be better than normal. What is the norm in America? I mean, it's kind of gross. We're obese, diabetes, heart disease. Like there are so many things that really revolve around our eating habits a lot. And I want my health to be better than normal. So I have to put a fair amount of energy and planning and conscious energy into making that happen. You know, same thing with food, which is my biggest struggle, right? It does take a lot of work and it can get frustrating, but it's because I want better than normal. And I think recovery is the same way, right? I want better than normal. That's why I put so much energy into it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it is true that, you know, once I stopped drinking, the happiness I was beginning to feel again that I hadn't felt in so many years was it was amazing. And just feeling like myself, but also feeling like, and now I get to reinvent myself and figure out, you know, new things that make me happy. And that's been great. And that was another great part about that trip is it was just, I felt so happy. I felt so grateful. Like this is where, you know, I am in my life a year ago before the trip, I would have never known that that could have been an option. That's exactly why I wanted to do sober travel, because I feel like people don't even know that's an option. You know, it's like we can do all the same things as sober people that the drunk people do. You know, like we can have all the same vacations and adventures and we can have all the same joy. But yeah, that was a lot of my commitment to making sober travel happen is because I thought exactly that. I'm like, people don't even know this is an option. And the beautiful thing with sober vacations too is it's family friendly because everybody's not drunk and acting a fool, you know? (laughs) We we had more fun and then we woke up the next day and remembered everything we did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. I wish we could go back. Me too. Okay, so how, how are your relationships now? You talked in the beginning about the relationships with your teenagers and really struggling with that and that was a big motivator for you. How has all of that shifted at this point in your recovery? You know, somebody said to me in the group that the kids will forgive you quicker than you think. Because I think in the beginning, it it becomes a very, at least for me, I was very focused on all the shame, all of the regret I had, how I'm in a position where I'm a parent, so I need them to respect my authority. But also, how can they respect my authority when I've messed up so many times? And so for me, that was very important for me to build it back up. And you helped me to work on my communication skills with them. So we had some candid conversations and somebody in the group said, they'll forgive you quicker than you think. And it is the truth. They really have. I mean, they're still, so I have twins that are 14, twin boys, and they're wonderful. They do still have their sassy moments and they don't want to, you know, they don't like me to be in charge, but it really is true. As long as they, and they're, okay communicators for being boys and being teenagers, but really it is the action and just them seeing me being present every night, making better choices. And I've also had conversations, like I I talked to them about Costa Rica. I said, I know you think, you know, mom has screwed up a lot. Now she's rewarding herself by going on this fabulous trip. I said, but you have to understand a big part of my journey is learning how to have fun and learning how, first of all, I need that group. I need that you know, community. And so I'm going there to meet a lot of these people for the first time in person and to have that bond with these people. But then also 
I need to learn how to have fun. I need to learn how to live life without relying on alcohol to do that for me. And so I had to kind of explain, I did a ton of journaling on our trip, a lot of reflecting when we came home. And so I had that conversation with them too. Like, listen, I'm not just out here rewarding myself. This is really part of my journey to get well. And I want to be well for you guys. So my relationship with my boys has, has improved a lot. Thank goodness my two younger ones are so young now. I don't think they realize. I hope and I, and I hope they never have to know um, what my teenagers have been through. My husband, it's kind of touch and go. It's still really tricky because like I said, he, he, he's very, very, very supportive. And I know he loves that I am present and, and not drinking. But I think, again, we just were different. His brain and my brain are different. And, and we're not great at communicating. We could be a lot better. So we still struggle with I still don't know that he totally understands why I need to put in all the work I do to into self-care and I could be better at communicating that to him. Overall, he is very supportive. I guess we just have different ways of going about it. So it's tricky. It's always tricky. Listen, if it wasn't sobriety, it'd just be something else. (laughs) (laughs) It's always tricky. Relationships are always tricky. I do think that in the back of his mind, like I do think he wishes he was He had a partner that could just be moderate and like sit out and have a couple of cocktails like it used to be way back in the day when we began our relationship. But, you know, he's seen some ugly things. And so I think he'd, you know, definitely rather take me how I am now than how he has seen me. So this journey hasn't been going on this long. So we're all still just learning and adjusting and and we'll figure it out. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, last question, favorite question. What's your favorite thing about being a sober person? (laughs) Oh, goodness. I've been thinking about this. I thought you might ask me, and I want to come up with something really clever. But yeah, I think all the things I've just mentioned before, the lack of anxiety. I mean, I used to just wake up early in the morning being, you know, a terrible sleeper, and I would just wake up and wonder what had happened the day before, who I had made mad. My anxiety would just be through the roof. And the last thing I wanted to do was get out of bed and live another day like that. And so, yeah, I think maybe it's just the lack of anxiety, the excitement, the motivation I have to live life again, to just be present for my family. This year, I've really paid attention to our holidays and been so grateful that I've been able to participate in all these holiday activities with my family and then remember them and be present and have these memories that I have been missing out on the past little bit. So I guess just having my life more, just being present with my family and being able to enjoy it. Yeah, it's so good. There's so many great things. Carrie, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I just adore you. I'm so glad that you can share your story with everybody too, because I know people are listening to this episode and just nodding their heads. Like they understand so many pieces of what you're talking about. So I just appreciate your courage to to talk about it. Well, thank you so much. The podcast for me, as soon as I found you, I mean, we set up our appointments and started our work together, but also so much of my work was just putting my earbuds in and going up the canyon with my dog and just listening to your podcast. Some of them I listened to over and over and over again. Um, But I went back as far back as I could reach and just 
that was so helpful for me to listen to other people's stories and to hear the experts and also just hear people like me who are just trying to figure out a better way to live life. And it changed my life. So I hope that I can help somebody. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.